If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Abby Dees. And tonight, from the new film, Guys Reading Poems, we have actor Daniel Barilla. Also live in studio, writer, performer, activist, and YouTube's favorite bisexual, R.J. Aguiar. And the executive director of Outright Action International, Jessica Stern, is back. But first, the national and international news from This Way Out. I'm Jessica Andrea. And I'm Michael LeBeau. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending April 22, 2017. 53 young men were arrested in Nigeria on April 15th at a motel in the northern city of Zaria. Prosecutor Munir Nasir told the court on April 19th that the defendants were illegally celebrating the marriage of a gay couple. The BBC reported that their defense lawyer says the young men, most of them students, were arrested at a birthday party, not a wedding. Each has pleaded not guilty to charges of conspiracy, unlawful assembly, and belonging to a gang of unlawful society. They were all released on bail, and their next hearing is scheduled for May 8th. According to reports, at least some of the men were roughed up by their jailers during 24 hours of detention before their release. Nigerian law denies civil marriage to same-gender couples, and under draconian legislation passed in 2013, couples can be jailed for up to 14 years for attempting any form of same-gender union. Anyone who witnesses, abets, and aids the solemnization of a same-sex marriage or civil union can be sentenced to up to 10 years. Maria Sjoden, Deputy Executive Director of the Global LGBTQ Advocacy Group Outright Action International, disputed the wedding story given by the authorities and called it part of a crackdown on an emerging LGBTQ movement in the West African nation. Private consensual adult gay sex itself is punishable by up to 14 years in prison in secular Nigeria. Punishment can be much harsher in northern areas of the country governed by Islamic law. There was a near lynching of about a dozen men accused of sodomy in northern Bauchi state in 2014. The gay couple, supposedly being celebrated at that party this week, reportedly managed to evade police and are in hiding at a safe house, fearing mob violence if they are discovered. A Canadian LGBTQ rights group dedicated to defending queer people in Iran reported that more than 30 men thought to be gay were beaten and arrested this week during a violent police raid of a private party in Esfahan province. 
According to Canada's Iranian Railroad for Queer Refugees, police fired their guns in the air while rounding up the men, some of whom managed to escape. At least a few heterosexual men were apparently netted in the raid. The human rights NGO said that all the detainees are being charged with sodomy, drinking alcohol, and using psychedelic drugs. Each of the detainees will reportedly be forced to undergo anal examinations in order to provide evidence of homosexual acts to the court. That barbaric practice has been widely discredited as medically bogus. Several human rights groups also call the horribly invasive procedure torture. The Iranian Railroad for Queer Refugees reported that this week's detainees were also forced to write down the full names of all of their LGBTQ friends and acquaintances who themselves will presumably be subject to eventual arrest, interrogation, and detention. The Islamic Republic of Iran has a well-documented history of persecuting sexual and gender-variant minorities. Its laws punish same-gender sex with lengthy prison terms, corporal punishment, or even execution. In other news, the police officer killed in the April 20th terrorist attack on the Champs-Élysées in Paris was also a much-admired LGBTQ rights activist. Javier Jugalet was shot in the head, and two other police officers and a bystander were wounded by the single gunman, who was killed by police as he tried to flee the area. Those who knew him praised Jugalet's commitment to his job, noting that he had been to Greece to help police officers there who were struggling to cope with the numbers of migrants who had crossed the Aegean Sea to find refuge in Europe. The 37-year-old Jugalet was a member of a French association of LGBT police officers called FLAG. The group's president, Michael Boucheron, told the New York Times that Jugalet participated in the organization's protest against Russia's no-promo-homo law during the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi. He was a simple man who loved his job, Boucheron said. He was really committed to the LGBT cause. Tributes to the fallen officer, who leaves behind a husband and other family members, have poured in from around the country and around the world. French President Francois Hollande said an official tribute is being planned. ISIS claimed responsibility for this week's attack, which took place three days before the first round of the French presidential election. Marine Le Pen of the far-right National Front Party, who's railed against marriage equality, has campaigned on anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant, anti-European Union platform. Observers believe she'll get a boost at the polls because of the attack. Now, if you poll psychiatrists, they're going to tell you that transgender is a disease. That's U.S. President Donald Trump's pick for Secretary of the Army, Tennessee State Senator Mark Green, during a Chattanooga Tea Party meeting late last year. His anti-queer record includes sponsoring a clone of North Carolina's so-called bathroom bill. He also backed a bill that would have allowed Tennessee teachers to refuse to address any issues in the classroom that conflicted with their religious beliefs, widely viewed as an anti-LGBTQ bill and a successful proposal that allows therapists to refuse to accept LGBTQ patients. If he's confirmed by the U.S. Senate, as expected, Green will ironically replace Obama appointee Eric Fanning, the first openly gay man to serve as Army Secretary. During his tenure, Fanning helped guide the Pentagon through the end of its ban on transgender enlistees. The American Military Partner Association, the nation's largest group of LGBTQ military spouses and their families, joined several other human rights groups to express strong opposition to the Green nomination. Based on his vicious anti-LGBT record, the group said in a media statement, Mark Green cannot be trusted to ensure all those who serve have the support they need and deserve. 
For the record, the American Psychiatric Association stopped listing gender identity disorder as a disease in 2012. Meanwhile, the Alabama Supreme Court has upheld the suspension of its chief justice, far-right homophobe Roy Moore, citing his disregard for binding federal law. The state high court justices agreed that Moore illegally ordered probate judges in his state to ignore the U.S. Supreme Court's June 2015 marriage equality ruling and to deny licenses to same-gender couples. The Alabama Court of the Judiciary, the state panel that disciplines judges, ordered the suspension of Moore in September. He lost his appeal at the state Supreme Court this week. This is not Moore's first run-in with the law. He was actually removed from office as Chief Justice in 2003 after refusing to take down a large sculpture of the Ten Commandments he'd installed at the State Judicial Building in Montgomery. Nevertheless, Alabama voters elected him to lead the high court again in 2013. At a news conference this week, Moore blamed the Southern Poverty Law Center, which filed the original complaint against him and certain transgendered and homosexual groups for his politically motivated prosecution. Even though he lost his appeal, Moore retains the title of Chief Justice for technical reasons. However, Moore is now 69 years old, and state law forbids anyone aged 70 or older from running for election or re-election to a judicial seat. So his career on the court is over. I've done my duty under the laws of the state, he said, to uphold the sanctity of marriage and the undeniable truth that God ordained marriage as a union of one man and one woman. Moore, not surprisingly a Republican, is said to be considering a run for governor in 2018 or for the U.S. Senate later this year. He said he'll announce his plans sometime soon after discussions with his family. But finally, he's a basketball legend and a tireless advocate for the rights of people living with HIV-AIDS since shocking the world in 1991 with the announcement that he's HIV-positive. He's now a leading Los Angeles-area businessman with additional interest in the city's Dodgers baseball and Lakers basketball franchises. Irvin Magic Johnson is also the proud father of EJ, his out- and sometimes gender-bending gay son. The elder Johnson had some advice for other parents of non-conforming LGBTQ kids during his appearance on The Ellen DeGeneres Show this week. I think it's all about you not trying to decide what your daughter or son should be or what you want them to become. It's all about loving them no matter who they are, what they decide to do. And when my son came out, I was so happy for him and happy for us as parents. And uh, we love him. And EJ is amazing. So you got to support your child because it's so many people who try to discriminate against them. So they need you to support them. Because if you don't support them, who's going to support them and love them? You know, it's really important. That's News Wrap for the week ending April 22nd, 2017. Produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Michael LeBeau. And I'm Jessica Andrea. You can hear all 30 commercial-free minutes of This Way Out on the podcast at thiswayout.org and on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. As you may have noticed from the news, it is not a great time to be LGBT in many parts of the world, especially Chechnya. 
joining us via phone from New York, who is taking time out from a dinner party, I understand, <laughs> right now to talk to us about these hotspots, is the executive director of Outright Action International, our very favorite, Jessica Stern. Hi, Jessica. <laughs> I can't believe you outed me, Abby. I'm sorry. I know, but but thanks for taking the time because a dinner party is a wonderful thing to have to leave. You, you have a life. It's a record. It's a dinner party with board members. It's business. Oh, okay. As long as you're not having fun. (laughs) Well, anyway, aside from the dinner party, um, you know, in the LGBT press, we've seen a lot about what's happening in Chechnya. I haven't seen much in the mainstream news, and I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about it. I'd be happy to. Um, Several weeks ago, the Chechnyan authorities decided it was time to round up men that they suspected of being gay or engaging in homosexual acts. Um, What that has resulted in is the arbitrary arrest of more than 100 men who have not been charged. The men have been subjected to torture under conditions of torture. um, They have been forced to give names of people that they know. They're Phones have been um, have been opened up, and the names of men that they know have been taken from their private property. Their social media accounts have been hacked, um, and the result of this combination of different forms of violence that the men have been subjected to has actually resulted not only in the detention of the men, but also in three deaths that we know of so far. And did this come out of nowhere? I mean, was there some instigating event that that caused this roundup to start happening? It's a really great question, and I would have to say that there are many different theories about what prompted the this you know mass roundup of men suspected of being gay, but there's not one prevailing theory about what the real motivation is. As I think your listeners are aware, the human rights situation in Chechnya is incredibly bad. It's bad for human rights activists. It's bad for women. It's bad for LGBTI people and anyone that challenges the status quo. So in some ways, you can say this is the latest episode in a series of human rights violations that many of us have been following for a long time. You've called on the oil companies that uh, operate in that area, like Chevron, Exxon, Mobil, Shell, British Petroleum, um, who seem to have inclusive hiring policies to step up and say something about it. Um, Have they done so yet? They have not yet, but we're just in the early days of a campaign. Um, you know, as you guys know, Outright is an international human rights organization, and, and we, we tend to focus on the sort of formal channels of the law and community organizing to provoke results when there's a pattern of human rights violations. In this case, Outright and the many engaged organizations that we work with, we followed all the rules. We called upon LGBTI-friendly governments from around the world to speak out, and, and they did. We called upon regional mechanisms to speak out, like the European Union, the European Council, and others. They did. We called upon the United Nations to speak out, and we got a a joint communication from more than five independent experts of the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights. They did. And you know what? The men are still incarcerated and being subjected to who knows what kinds of violence. And so when Outright started to think about what could provoke a response, We decided it was time to think outside of the box and to think about who has leverage in Chechnya, because Putin and the Chechnyan authorities continue to deny that these men are being held. They've even gone so far as to deny that there are any gay men in Chechnya. 
And we turn to the oil companies. And so we're at the start of a campaign and we're really hoping that maybe some of your listeners that hear the show tonight would be willing to sign our petition. And then what we're asking the oil companies to do is to put their actions where their words are, demonstrate some corporate social responsibility, and actually use their unique leverage and influence to condemn these grotesque actions and demand the men's freedom. One of the things that comes to mind when you talk about oil companies in Russia is I start thinking of uh, Rex Tillerson and wondering what the U.S. policy is in relation to this. I mean, are are we tacitly encouraging this or is there stuff that the U.S. can be doing that we're not doing? What are your thoughts? Well, I'm really glad you asked that question. I mean, the U.S.'s position has been checkered. So on the one hand, the State Department issued a condemnation of the mass arrests and detention of these men in Chechnya. That's a really good thing. We also had a statement from the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, condemning the targeting of these men on the basis of their sexual orientation. That was also a good thing and, frankly, somewhat of a surprise from this administration. On the other hand, we know that Secretary of State Tillerson traveled to Russia last week met with Putin, and he refused to reveal whether or not he was intending to raise the detention of these men in his meeting. And we have had no further information from Secretary of State Tillerson about his meeting with Putin and whether or not he raised this issue. And so, of course, what we we have what we have no choice but to conclude under the circumstance is that he did not decide this was a priority. Now, just before you came on, we had a news story about a, a similar, not similar, not quite as drastic, but a, a roundup of gay men in Iran. Is this something that is going to start spreading? Or, I mean, it all sounds so unfortunately tied. Iran has been doing this yeah. a few times. Well, what we're seeing as a global pattern today is that more and more LGBTI communities are forming, people are demanding their rights. They're saying that the status quo of homophobia and transphobia is unacceptable, and they're demanding an end to state violence, family violence, and employment inequalities. And what's the consequence of asserting your rights? Mm. Well, in many cases, the consequence is backlash. So I think you're asking a really good question, and I would say the very kind of sober and honest response is, yes, I actually think that we will see more, more incidents like we're seeing in Chechnya right now. You know, one story that hasn't gotten any attention that just breaks my heart is what happened in Nigeria a little over a week ago. Have you guys heard about what happened in Nigeria or maybe reported on it? It was on the newscast tonight. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yes. I should have ended my dinner party earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you guys are really the only broadcasters in, in the U.S. that I know who've covered Nigeria. Basically, in a nutshell, you know, we saw the birthday party of a gay man be raided. Between 53 and 57 men were taken into custody. I'm actually at a dinner party with a a gay friend and activist from Nigeria, and he was telling me that according to his information from three days ago, 19 of the men are still in state custody. And, And more or less what's expected of them is, you know, they need to pay a bribe. And so long as they can pay a bribe, they'll be released. But the longer they stay in jail, the more likely it is that they'll face criminal charges. And so what we're seeing is in a context, you know, unlike the U.S., but also very similar in some ways, it's not just the men who are targeted in general. It's the poorest of those men who are facing the most extreme consequences. 
And of course, if they're charged and convicted under the same-sex marriage prohibition law in Nigeria, they could be sentenced up to 14 years in prison just for going to a friend's birthday party. Jessica, whenever you come on the show, I always think there's so much more that we should be talking about. And But I'm so glad that you took time out to talk to us about these things. And, of course, there's much more to these stories. Um, I just want to thank you for taking the time out, Jessica Stern. And please let us know if there's anything else you want to talk about. Good news, too. <laughs> there's always good news. How about you have me back, and I'll tell you all the things to be proud of. That sounds great. Perfect. Thank you so much. And that was Jessica Stern from uh, Outright Action International. And if you want to find out more about them or find out what you can do, go to outrightinternational.org. It's as simple as that. It seems as if we've been talking about the film Guys Reading Poems forever. We had the director, (laughs) Hunter Lee Hughes, and actor Rex Lee on the show to talk about its festival run last April, but it's finally opening theatrical on Friday. So joining us in studio with the 411 is one of the actors from Guys Reading Poems, Guys Reading Poems, Mr. (laughs) Daniel Barilla. And he's also the associate producer. Welcome, Daniel Barilla. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much. And now you can feel free to cough. (laughs) Yeah, I know. He's been rifling a cough. (laughs) All all the way through that phone interview, he was suffering so much. Just let it go. Let it go. Sorry. Decide to. And while while he's refreshing over here, um, we'd also like to thank Mm. Patricia Velasquez, who was originally scheduled to be here but was taken with a very bad cold, so we wish her a speedy Apparently recovery. She can't talk. I know, which is the worst kind of radio guest ever. <laughs> but. So, but she'll be on it in a following week, and Daniel was so kind to step up and come in to discuss guys reading poems. So, Replace her with a cough. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I've seen this film described as poetry neo-noir. Yeah. Is, is, is that a good description of it? How would you describe it? It is. It's um, predominantly in black and white, um, and it has a neo-noir kind of film. If you think like Kill Bill and whatnot, but without all that extreme killing, killing and whatnot, mm-hmm. it has that very avant-garde kind of look to it. So when you're watching it, you're like you're like this. It kind of feels like you're in a dream, and you don't want to really wake up. You're really intrigued by the characters and the poetry that's being read throughout the film, and you just get kind of lost in it. And especially if you're like a fan of poetry, um, you know, you can really just listen to it and be like, "Wow, that's one of my favorite poems." And this person is acting it out in in such a great way to where you feel like you're in this story about this family. It's bringing th- poetry, it's making po- poetry sort of three-dimensional. In yeah, many definitely. Ways, taking it back off the page. Yeah. And it's ne- never been done before. You know, as far as as far as I know, nothing like that's ever been accomplished in film. So when it was presented to you as an actor, how did they describe it to get the idea into your head? Because I haven't seen it since a year ago when we, when we had people in. Mm-hmm. And all I remember is there's a mother, Patricia Velasquez. Mm-hmm. There's a child in a box. There is a Punch and Judy theatrical set. There's men in their underwear. And there's lots of beautiful <laughs> real estate. Attractive <laughs> And there's attractive so real estate and poetry being mm-hmm. read by guys. Um, mm-hmm. How do you encapsulate that and say, here, I want you for this project? It is, what's the elevator speech version of this? Um, it is, um, like, the quick synopsis of the movie is it's an intriguing story about this smart boy that has to overcome a survive. He has to survive by utilizing poetry um, to live through this predicament that he's in. And like when he when he told me the story about what was going to happen, I'm like, wow, that's so intriguing. Like I'm on honestly, I'm I don't know much about poetry personally and whatnot, but like. <laughs> okay, did, that's two of us. did it inspire you? I mean, from the, did the poetry did, move but, you? But see, like personally, the poetry didn't 
really inspired me, except for Hunter. Hunter wrote a poem, mm-hmm. you know, who's the writing director. He wrote a poem for the film. It is absolutely astonishing. It is beautiful. It should be in a book somewhere. It's called I Need a Lover. And yeah, it's amazing. I remember that. Oh, my God. It's so good. He's he's such a great writer. Um, but what I was inspired by was this boy had to rely on things that, like, these poems. We all have to rely on things to get through tough situations in life, especially living here in L.A. And I took from that, like, like, like I've been through a lot of things in my life. And I'm like, I look back and I'm like, what have I done to make sure I survive? Like, this kid had to remember the poetry that his father read to him in order to stay alive in the situation. And like, I've done things myself in order to stay alive, like living here in LA and whatnot. And so that's how I was kind of inspired by that way. One of the things that you are becoming known for is you're also out as an HIV positive man. Yes. And you've done some, you've got some interesting backstory that brought you to this point. It makes me sort of wonder, like, sort of what the role of art, like you were talking about, the things you do to survive. And I wonder if you could talk about that. Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, I'm openly positive. Um, I got it back when in 2009. Um, I was just 19 years old, about six months after moving to L.A., um, I had a, you know, I had a, I do things for money. And so I got it. I didn't know anything about it. I grew up in a Christian background. I can tell you my whole entire story, but I don't got time for that. Um, doing things for money. Do, yeah. Doing, yes. th- doing things for money. Doing th- yeah. And then, um, you know, I had choices to make. Um, the choice was, you know, I'm alone. I have no friends. I'm in this new big city. I have this new virus that I didn't even know existed. You know, because growing up a church system, that's not what you're taught. And I didn't go to, like, um, sex ed in high school or anything. Where did you go? Where did you grow up? Arizona. Okay. Yeah. Red State. (laughs) 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 Uh, My parents are still there, too. Um, But, um, sorry, I forgot what I was saying. Oh, you were talking about, just talking about, you came out, you got your diagnosis. Yes. And there was, you were sort of So I was struggling. I, I knew I can go left or right on this. I knew I could drink a lot. I can get into drugs. I can do something really bad and just hate the world for it. Or I can step up, accept the responsibility and try to see if I can help people at my age at that time to, if they're going through the same thing for them not to be afraid, you know, not to, not to be scared of what's going to happen, what is happening, you know, and what to do, what steps to take. So I decided to take it on myself after I was diagnosed. I became friends like the Gay and Lesbian Center and I was able somehow just kind of finagle my way into becoming a speaker at like their luncheons and galas. And because of my speech one that I gave that I, you know, I went through a suicidal kind of thing um, was the first choice that I had when I was diagnosed. I was young, you know, I was really young. I'm not Very like that young. anymore. Yeah, I think that but it's a really honest thing to say that that was that was one of the choices on the table, because I think a lot of people have to face with that. That is one of the choices. Yeah. And they turned to it. And, and I knew that I wanted I, I don't know. I'm like, I got it for a reason. Um, I, I always I've always thought since then that maybe I got it because there's someone else in that world that that just couldn't handle it. Hmm. Now, you, speaking of the Gay and Lesbian Center here in L.A. is one thing. But because of your background, because you came from a place where you you were so blindingly ignorant. Have you taken your show on the road? Have you taken it to your hometown in Arizona or or any other place where you think probably the community is not being well exposed, served? I uh, 
I did a national commercial that still airs today. It looks horrible because I have a puka shell necklace on and it's disgusting. <laughs> but it was for the, the, the CDC. The puka shells kill oh everything. It was, trust me, it's all <laughs> But it's for the CDC. David and that was the closest it. national thing I can do. But like if you Googled my name, it's just HIV, HIV, HIV. Mm-hmm. It all comes up because I came out here to act, um, you know, when I was 19. And this kind of like stopped me. And I'm like, oh, well, I can't be an actor and be positive at the same time. I don't think anyone does that. You know, and this is like eight years ago. Is it eight years? Yeah, seven or eight years ago. You know, I don't do math either. <laughs> um, so, but it sounds like it motivated you. It did. It. I do not regret um, being diagnosed. You know, some people look at him like, "Oh my god, that's such a mistake. My life would be so much different." Mine would. I, I can't. I can't fathom what my life would be like back then because because I was diagnosed because I did the center speeches. I was able to find an agent. That agent signed me. I did commercials. I did shows. You know. And so I came out here to act. I thought this HIV was going to stop me from being just a human being and just ruin me. But you know, in actual reality, it helped me out. Have I had troubles since then? Yes, I've gone. You know, I've gone through a lot. Dating is extremely hard. Mm. Try to be open up front with people. It's a hurdle that you never get over. And, you know, life has thrown things at me. Um, I'm trying to get back into the acting world. Hunter was gracious enough to have me to write this part kind of for me, but still audition for it. So when I got it and we filmed it, I was like, oh, I'm loving this. I miss this kind of thing. But I got stuck in a nine-to-five job. I lost my agent. And so I had that job. I quit a month ago. And now I'm kind of thinking after four and a half years, I'm like, maybe I can get back into it. You know, maybe I can go try to get an agent again, you know? And I'm like, I, I strive to still be that positive image to the best I can, even though I'm older now, but I still want to do something with that. But, but and I, I wouldn't say you would use it as a calling card, but you, there aren't very many out HIV positive actors yet. I mean, you're, you're kind of it. A trailblazer. Yeah. And I, I, that's the last thing I want to look at it as is a calling card because, you know, I had... I had that choice if I tried hard enough to do it. But first and foremost, I want to do something positive. Like I'm part one of our sponsors for our movie that we're going to, you know, for Guys Reading Poems next week. And they're called The Thrive Tribe. And it's a tribe of all positive men. It's like thousands of people. And they're all in the L.A. area and surrounding areas and whatnot. And it's such a great community because you're like, wow, like you're positive. You've been, you get to hear all these stories when I have all these people that are just like you. And people that are successful and they're still going through their passions and whatnot. And they didn't let it stop them. And it's it's such a reminder that, I mean, it is that kind of thing. You it, like you can't do anything alone. You've got to have community one way or another. How do people find out about you? Uh, you can uh, Google I'm, you? I'm not like saying this, but you can, <laughs> you can Google my name, I guess. Um, I don't know, Facebook, Instagram, check out Twitter. But definitely please check out the film, though. Um, you know, like we said, it's guys reading poems. I love the prosaic title about a film about poetry. It is. <laughs> it's it an is. intriguing. It's 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 a film like you've never seen before. It's never yeah. been done. You know, it's yeah. an, it's a little over an hour and a half. Um, if you love poetry, if you love independent cinema, yeah. if you like an artistic kind of avant-garde kind of feel, it's the film. You will love it. And I assume you can Google Thrive Tribe as well, right? You can Google Thrive Tribe as well. Yeah. If you guys are listening, if someone there is HIV okay. positive. And you're scared, check you know, it check it out. It's okay. a great group. Well, thank you so much. Guys Reading Poems opens this Friday at the Arena, at the Arena Cinema Lounge in Hollywood. And we have just been talking with actor Daniel Barilla, who's in the film. So still to come, YouTube's, well, our favorite at least, <laughs> a funny YouTuber, R.G. Aguiar. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Basket, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. 
Many gay couples have pets as close companions. Such was the case with Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Toklas, the infamous Parisian pair whose home was a hangout for famous artists and writers. Gertrude and Alice made their own family of three with their dog, Basket, a cuddly, playful thing they liked taking on walks. Alice claimed that purchasing the dog was Gertrude's idea. She said they named the dog Basket because Gertrude hoped he would carry a basket of flowers in his mouth. Stein asked the name be spoken with the accent on the last syllable, as would a French speaker who doesn't know English might say it, making it a French word with no particular meaning. Their good friend Paul Bowles said they actually had three dogs over the years with the same name, Basket 1, Basket 2, and Basket 3. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Jennifer Noel Catton. I am gay, and being gay has been certainly a very important part of my life. But I will die if I do not have clean air to breathe. I will die if I don't have shelter. I will suffer greatly if the gap between the rich and the poor continues to widen. And I think gay people have a responsibility, like everyone else. But I do think that gay people are special in some ways. That because we exist in every color of skin, because we were raised in every type of family, that maybe we can be part of the process of uniting people to address the gravest issues that affect us all. I really have come to believe that the greatest divide and the most destructive divide between us is not sexual orientation or gender or even race. It's class. It's about money and power and the new economy that we're living in. I want to do whatever I can to help build power for working class people, gay and straight and black and brown and young and old. We need to help all working class people understand that it matters who you fall in love with, it matters what color you are, but we are going to sink or swim together. Hi, I'm Cleve Jones, and you are listening to IMRU. Right here on KPFK 90.7 FM. Welcome back. You are listening to <laughs> IMRU Radio. I'm Abby Dees. And I'm Wendell Jones. And now joining us in studio is a writer, actor, comedian, and online personality. His YouTube channel, Shep689, and Not Adam and Steve, have 366,223 
precisely subscribers oh, and wow. over 71 million views. It might be 366,224 because I hit that oh, this evening. See, so, you cannot keep up. Anyway, welcome to IMRU, RJ It's a pleasure it's, to be back on FM radio. <laughs> it's been a minute. It's very exciting to have a YouTube person in front of us because I forget you do exist in three dimensions. I know, I know. Some people are like when, when people meet us and they're like, I forget you're a real person. Yeah. I forget, you know, and then especially because we used to, to make daily video diary videos there there you know it's it's so surreal because i feel like i know everything about you and yet you know nothing about me and so i'm just like it's it's fine it's cool no. <laughs> that's not the royal we either you're talking about your husband yes will, will william uh who hopefully is listening at home i don't i don't know hi babe i he, love you he better be quiz him on this but right? b- before we go down the <laughs> rabbit hole of all the amazing things you're doing on sure. youtube we want to discuss the fact that you're sitting on the board of resist march because that's yes, coming up and committee. tell us about it well um it was uh, i'd heard uh, uh, brian who you've had on the show um is, brian is a f- yes brian Pendleton. he's um i mean a friend and then was telling me about uh what what he was up to and and just how they were taking uh pride or at least the the mar the what was going to be a parade but is now a march they're taking it in a new direction he was just basically just telling me about it and i was insanely interested and then he was just talking about how oh you know we we're looking to expand our team we need someone who's young we need someone who's by someone you know, who knows social media. And so I was, I was thrilled to jump on board uh, and to hopefully, um, because we're, we're kind of trying something new this year, we have the opportunity, I think, to set the tone of pride, not just for the next four years, but uh, I mean, even, you know, further into the future, making it um, more inclusive, more uh, representative, more, um, and, and and I guess well, I, I'm saying political just because that's how, what it was in the beginning. It was a political statement first and foremost. And I guess we you know may have gotten a little complacent and may have gotten a little too caught up in the in the drinking in the half naked go go boys. Not that I have I'm anything. I'm not sure what happened to make us suddenly not so complacent. Not that I have anything against <laughs> half naked go go boys. I'm no, a fan, but like there's a time and a place <laughs> for everything. I when I hear this term because it gets tossed around a lot, I'm on the board. And that's something ex-presidents end up on boards. John Crawford's on the board of Pepsi. Or it's like, what does it mean to actually be on the board? Is there? Well, a, it's, are there meetings? I, just, there are meetings. Well, I, I guess we're, we're technically a committee. I guess uh, if you would, and there's also kind of su- several subcommittees, sort of within the group, as far as you know, handling different tasks, be it you know marketing or be it being it outreach or programming and stuff like mm. that. So yeah, we do have meetings. Uh, we all get together and we toss around ideas, and then yeah, then it's a matter of. Uh, mixing the sort of, you know, online correspondence and the on the ground work and, you know, actually pounding the pavement, talking to, you know, community members, organizations. You have a lot to do between now yes. and June. It's not that far away. No, no. And and considering we're kind of almost, I guess, reinventing the wheel in a lot of ways, yeah. it's, um, you know, and, and previous And the wheel's years, going farther. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's it's a it's a an ambitious undertaking, but also a very exciting one. Um, and it seems to be one that the more we talk to, um, to people about it, the more excited they get because... Um, I mean, people are, I think, frustrated by today's socio-political climate, and they want to they want to do something about it. There's there's a, a joke that I have amongst my friends that I, um, what I call Trump pression. People are are suffering from Trump pression, <laughs> uh, which is obviously you know the the specific sort of depression you get 
seeing all those sort of bleak headlines uh, in the news and why you can't really scroll through Facebook without getting mad anymore. And it's like, well, you can sit there and you can be defeatist and depressed or you can do something about it. And so this is a great opportunity, you know, just like with the Women's March, just like with, you know, all these other uh, marches that that people are throwing. But this is a way for us to sort of open up the rainbow flag to, to everybody who feels sort of marginalized these days. And the, the L.A. Resist March is also happening at the same time that the Washington, D.C. March, yes. the big march is happening. Right, yeah. So, and so we're in contact, you know, we're, we're, we're comparing notes. Yeah. Um, you know, share, sharing bi- um, bits and pieces of information. And, and yeah, I mean, we're all on the same team, so we cooperate. So how does this, you're doing, helping plan the L.A. Resist March, you're yeah. on the board, how does this connect with your very intense I mean I don't even know what how like what the boundaries of it are online persona you've um, got and just for people who aren't familiar you've okay. got the sorry I'm gonna cut you off just for a second you've got the YouTube channel uh, the not Adam you've yep. got your website with your husband not Adam and Steve.com mm-hmm. got hashtag ask a bye guy I love that which is like a semi-regular series yeah, that you have in your a... YouTube thing and you discuss everything yeah i'm in detail well it's like i like being intersectional i i think you know a lot of people when you when you're socially active they try to sort of pigeonhole you to like one cause or one topic and i mean we're all intersectional people like we're all we all stand at the intersection of several issues and so why should activists have to be, you know, confined to sort of one thing that's important to them? It's, you know, I, 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 ru- I cover a variety of topics because people are affected by a variety of topics, including and especially myself. We don't live in silos. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I figured, you know, it, it really just sort of started as a garbage dump for my brain. The channel did. And I thought that the more I did it, the more I was going to find like a singular direction. And that turned out to not be the case. <laughs> I, I garbage dump turns out to be a bit extreme, though. No, it's quite it attractive. It's because it's interesting you. stuff. It's not garbage. I mean, I was just scanning some of the topics that you've covered just in the last couple of months. One of the big things you talk about is by representation yes. in society. You talked uh, very recently talked about YouTube's policy of censorship, that yeah. it seems to be catching LGBT stuff in the net. Mm-hmm. Um, depression and mental health stuff. I thought yep. that was really interesting. Um, and then I, I said everything from, I don't know if I can say this on it, dick pic etic- etiquette to, you know, penis depression, pick, penis. <laughs> <laughs> Runyon Canyon, um, and DIY crystal growing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that's why we have more than one channel, yes. too. Like, it's the husband channel is it, it went from being a sort of diary now to sort of just being it went back to sort of being a creative outlet for us. That's what it started as is um, we <laughs> we um, it was originally just sort of um, making you know videos just because we felt like it yeah. or whatever we felt like trying. And then, yeah, the daily vlogs um, sort of put us on a, a like, you know, within a certain wheelhouse and then. Uh, when we decided to find it, once we finally decided that we had enough of that, because making a video every single day is grueling, especially when you do it for almost five years. Um, it was, yeah, yeah it, it was, um, it just really is just about what tickles our fancy at the time. And, you know, because we're millennials with short attention spans, sometimes it's several things. Although tickling her fancy at once. It's interesting that you say we're millennials with short attention spans because I I find your videos to be rather long format because yes, yeah. I'll see the topic and I'll start and I'll 
think, well, he's going to get to it eventually. He's a millennial. And no, you go off on tangents and you do fulfill the promise you made with the title but yeah uh it's it's well i i still people just kind of ask how how i do that and i honestly don't know because that's just i i go down those rabbit holes in my head and it used to be when i did videos that i would just turn on a camera and talk and then i would get like half an hour of footage for a five minute video and those were a nightmare to edit so i even started like scripting them and even then, when I'm like dumping I'm my brain on it, yeah, it, it just more often than not, for the most part, just goes directly, um, you know, on on screen. And then it, it just I, it works for reasons that elude me. It does. Um, and but and then it works well on YouTube, too, because YouTube likes keeping people, you know, on their site for extended periods of time. Uh, and so it it just worked. A lot of what works on social media is just a happy accident. And so, for those who are just tuning in, we are talking to RG RJ Aguiar, who is a YouTube sensation. What? Um, <laughs> you are. Hardly. So when people are tuning in to see you, what do you think is? I mean, there there is no shortage of people speaking their mind on YouTube. True. What do you think is unique about your point of view, or what? Or what keeps them coming back? Uh, again, I you would have to ask them, the the, oh, come the on, viewers. Well, it's um I, you know every one of the great things about social media just in general is that it's it's sort of democratized the fact that everybody has a, a unique voice. Um, and I, I I feel like I was just sort of gifted with an ability to sort of articulate my thoughts better than most. I think you know getting degrees in English and com definitely help that. Um, and yeah, I, I, when I make content, especially when it's in regards to like a certain topic, I try to, you know, for lack of a better term, idiot proof it. Um, and so I find that a lot of times when I make a video about a certain topic, people like using that as a resource for sort of putting into words what they couldn't. Um, you know, I was, I'm able to somehow or another, you know, um, take what people are feeling, um, but just haven't really had the vocabulary to express and then, you know, doing it myself. Now, I was wondering when I was watching these videos, um, mm -hmm. does your real life with your husband, Will, reflect the persona we see on YouTube? Because I think, wow, he talks a lot and Will is so quiet. <laughs> I, I like to think we are at least similar to our personas, mm. but um, I mean, you're also sort of, uh, you know, there's we're a little bit different when the cameras turn off as far as, you know, I mean, especially I spend, you know, I work from home and it's uh, most days during the week. It's just me and Dobby at home. So, yeah, I'm I'm not That's the puppy, right? Not that the, is the puppy, not the elf. <laughs> well, he, sometimes he he's he acts like the elf. elf. Like. Yeah, he's elfish. But uh, yeah. So and during those days, like I'm very quiet. I'm not exactly talking unless I'm like yelling at him to get off the couch. Uh, <laughs> I, no, I just wonder because with with a lot of say reality programming like Housewives, it's oh, like true. everybody has to be a certain character because that's the way they're. And I thought, did you guys sit down and say, okay, you be the quiet one and I'll be the no. outgoing one because we need this contrast to make this work. Yeah, people people look at our stuff and they and they just assume that a lot of it is just crafted and planned. And it's like, no, we really just kind of turn on a camera and see what happens. And that's what I think what people gravitate towards so much is is the spontaneity and as a result almost the authenticity of it. Um that you know they know that what they're watching isn't scripted or isn't uh pre-planned out. It's not outlined. Like it just is happening 
Um, it's I'd, pretty comprehensive. Yeah, I mean, you, there would be a lot of time to take to plan that because oh you've my got gosh, a life yeah. documented. That's too much effort. Now, one of the <laughs> things I mentioned before that you two talk about a lot is yeah. bisexual identity. Yes. And so, and you, and it sounds like you consider yourself an activist. Do you feel like that that is a big part of your sort of job is educating and creating awareness? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's something that ha- that I've sort of fallen into. Uh, I joke that I've been kind of forced gumping my way through this entire thing. Um, but thankfully, and now especially because I've been working with a lot of great organizations like Binet USA, uh, LA by Task Force, and and having. Um, getting sort of educated by them about what are bi issues so that I can actually speak with some sophistication on it. Um, I definitely now nowadays especially consider myself more of an activist, whereas more before it was more just about me sharing my own personal journey, which definitely resonated with people. I mean, at the end of the day, that's kind of all you can do is really just share your journey and hope that it uh, it helps inform other people. But then um, – as as I sort of got, went along and was looking for like different things to talk about, luckily, great uh, mentors of mine like Eliel Cruz, Faith Cheltenham, uh, came were able to step in and basically be like, "Listen, here's stuff for you to possibly talk about later on." Um, and and it was it was shocking, like it was it was great almost to sort of take people along a journey with me because I'm you know you'd think there would be more to, to or you all that there would be to being bisexual is just liking multiple genders but it turns out there's a lot more so what like give me an example of the kinds of things you've discovered or learned in that um, process things like you know the fact that you know by bi, bi plus people um especially bi plus women suffer you know higher rates of intimate partner violence um sexual assault uh we're at higher rates for substance abuse you know physical and mental health problems like it's it there i did that whole video by people have issues and the whole time i was doing that research and reading going through all the stuff that i had been sent i was just my jaw was on the floor i'm like it it became so apparent to me that it's like a lot of, in a lot of ways the bi community bi plus community is decades behind you know the rest of the acronym and it was it's a t- it's an add-on in some in yeah. many people's minds. Did, did yeah. I miss something? What does bi plus mean as opposed to bi? So bi plus sort of includes any any Ask other sort, yeah <laughs> any other identities uh, that aren't particularly monosexual. So pansexual, omnisexual, polysexual. Um, you know, we definitely don't want to to erase the identities of other people, especially since you know we've been erased ourselves, so we know what it feels like. Uh, so we're definitely, uh, yeah, bi plus is sort of like uh, meant to be more of an inclusive term to sort of recognize that, yeah, there's, you know, there, there's other people in here that that may choose a different identity, but still share our our struggle. And and I just have to ask, once you were legally married to Will, did people then go up to you and go, oh, so now you're gay? Yep. And <laughs> how, what do you do with that? Um, when you know it's coming. You, well, uh, you try to educate. Well, you, it's this is where having a mom who's a preschool teacher really, really helped because then <laughs> oh. you can <laughs> then you can just be like, no, that's not how it works, <laughs> and don't hit them. <laughs> well, right, exactly. You're not allowed to anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> people are so soft. <laughs> no. Well, and I loved your your um, analogy about uh, the sexual spectrum is like day and night. When you're a kid, you learn day and night. Right. But if you didn't learn how to tell times and the different times of day and night, you would never be able to get anywhere in time. And I thought, oh, that's that a really clearest... beautiful analogy. Yeah, that is the clearest, most brilliant explanation of, of 
the Who bisexual. says degrees in English are useless? Hey, oh. I, I'm with you, and I, I share that degree in English. And although we just have a minute, I also want to point out that you talk very honestly on the on your website, on the YouTube, about a lot of other personal stuff like dealing with depression. And one thing I noticed, yes. because I share this with you, um, is sensory processing disorder. Oh, yeah. Which is not something that a lot of people even know what that is, but you're talking about it honestly. Yeah, I mean, we didn't even know that about it until, like, I was a teenager, I was was just a very odd child and then my mom was reading a book on it then again she's you know an early childhood educator and then she's she she had her book open and she had me read a case study and i was like oh my gosh that That's was me, me. <laughs> so yeah it was it, it again just speaks to the power of of owning your story owning your truth and and being as as forthcoming about it as you can because you never know who you will help you know if, if even if it's just the knowledge that you're not in this alone um, it, it's, you, you never really, you know, every time I sort of open up, I, uh, sometimes I feel nervous about it, but I, that, that nervousness always sort of pays off always every single time. Well, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. Cause I always admire people who are willing to be themselves for the entire world, because it's true. You never know. You never know. You never know who's going to hear and you. And who you're going to touch. Nope. And, um, thank you so much, RJ Aguiar. And if you want to find out or subscribe to uh, his YouTube channel, you can go to YouTube, his YouTube channel, which is the not Adam yes. or his TNA on the brain, TNA on the brain. <laughs> um, or website, not Adam and Steve com and anything else we should know about finding you? Um, well, I guess I can f- uh, take a page from the earlier guest and be like, you can Google me if you want. Okay, RJ <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that is it for tonight. Our thanks to IMRU's coordinating producer, Steve Pride, our director, Mer- M- Michelle Marie Gilkison, board op, Federico G- Oh, excuse me, no. <laughs> Who is our board op tonight? Baca. Gary Baca. Gary Baca. Thank you very much. And Rainbow oh. Minute producers, Jed Proctor, and Brian Burns. It's live, folks. Find us online at imruradio.org and follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio, where the link to The Lady Show is posted every Tuesday afternoon where you can go, hear it, and then like the page. And we'll close with a viral song from YouTube. A transgender ballad recorded as a duet for solo voice. One voice is recorded his first day on testosterone and the second voice nine months later. Here is Charlie Peck performing Home. Good night. Alabama, Arkansas, I do love my mom, pa. Come
Where 